0: Hello and welcome to the IBMS Biopods. I'm Rob. And this is Becca. These Biopods will give you an insight into Congress with exclusive interviews, behind-the-scenes chit-chat and maybe even a drop of science.
1: So put down your pets, move away from the microscope and get ready
0: for a Biopod deep dive.
2: So hello, today we are here with Siobhan Taylor following on from the IBMS Congress and her presentation on molecular pathology. So Siobhan is a clinical scientist, and Molecular Pathology Lead here at the Gloucestershire Hospital's NHS Foundation Trust. How are you, Siobhan?
1: I'm good, thank you.
2: Good Hi. stuff. Good to hear. So Rob's to kind of run you through some, some questions, so hand over to Rob.
0: So first of all, just so the listeners know a bit more about you, tell us a bit about yourself and how you got into biomedical science and what your job entails.
1: Sure. Um, so uh, I guess it, it started from quite an early age. I, um, for some family, personal reasons, um, decided I wanted to work in cancer research and um, I was doing just before my GCSEs about this point and my teachers had said to me that I wouldn't get my um, biology (laughs) grades, (laughs) Uh, I wouldn't get my biology grades um, to study A level and at which point I thought I'm going to prove you wrong. So I did uh, and I, I went on and I found the degree course that meant that I could uh, go and do that. And I would uh, looked at biomedical science and the option was brilliant. It was a four year course back then. It was quite a while ago <laughs> um, with a sandwich placement. And I wanted that sandwich placement because it meant I could get experience at the time. I wasn't even thinking about being a biomedical scientist. Um, so I went and studied and um, studied. My biomedical science degree luckily by sheer fortune it was accredited so um but at the time i wasn't really thinking about that uh, went on uh, to finish university and um, my first job was in great ormond street in the oh, wow, yeah. pediatric <coughs> genetics unit there uh, and one of the scientists who ran the unit um, gave me a chance i guess um i had a, a uh, a good degree, I had a first-class degree, but I wasn't very good at interview, yeah. <laughs> shall we say. Um, well, why were you
0: not good at interview? What did you do?
1: Uh, I'm dreadful at interviews. Confidence, <laughs> Confidence, that uh, lack of experience. Now I know to prepare, to find questions and practice and find examples of your practice that relate to um, questions relevant to that, find out about the organisation. I possibly didn't know that as a fresh graduate yeah. student coming out of university. Um, so, yeah, I, I I didn't get the job, but they subsequently rang me a few days and, and offered me the job. So it was fortuitous. <laughs> that I got um, yeah.
0: And where did, where did you go from there? How did you get from there to where you are today?
1: So um, that... Um, I realised it was a joint research stroke um, diagnostic role. And whilst I was doing that, I fell in love with chromosomes. Science genetics is the analysis of chromosomes. Uh, fell in love with chromosomes. They're fab, cool little things. <laughs> um, and realised that actually I, I wanted to work in a diagnostic field and help and, and I could be as valuable in that as I could research. And I, I never quite figured out where I wanted to pin my research down. So from there, I went into train in science genetics, um, the clinical scientist training back then, it was A grade training. Um, and I moved to Bristol to do that. Um, so I went to Bristol Genetics Lab and did my clinical scientist training there. Um, unfortunately, when I reached the end of my clinical scientist training, um, there weren't actually any full-time permanent roles. So um, that was when I, I moved to histology here in Cheltenham. Yeah. Um, and at the time I was leading um, the technical team and then realized I had a biomedical science degree. I could I could practice as a biomedical science if I did certain things. So back then I had to do my registration portfolio. And then um, and then, see, as time has passed, clinical scientists are more integrated within histology. The STP programs come along with the Academy um, uh, with the National School of Healthcare Science, so um, it's a bit more of a recognised, I suppose, uh, ability to work cross-discipline now, so I've been able to use the skills that I gained from my clinical scientist training here in the lab here in Cheltenham in histology. Uh,
0: It sounds like there's been a lot of education and training and research along the way. Is that something you're still interested in, or now that you've got a more diagnostic role, are you kind of this is my thing
1: now? Nope. Um, My friends from university call me the forever student. (laughs) I I literally just don't seem to stop. And I I kind of every now and then I think, right, okay, that's enough, I can stop. And then a, a bit later I'll be like, oh no, I need to do the next thing. I don't know. I don't know what it is that drives that. I've often thought, Why do I feel like that? But it's just something inherently in me that just makes Mm -hmm. me go, I want to learn more. The field's changing so quickly. Things change. Um, There's always something else out there that you can learn about. You can never know everything. So, um, yeah, I think that's what I enjoy about it. So, yeah, lots of education, training. And now I'm on the higher scientist specialist training program with the National School of Healthcare Science to become a consultant clinical scientist. Oh, brilliant. So, so it's a five year long haul slog. Yeah. <laughs> five year long haul slog, yeah. Um, but hopefully at the end of it, there will be a role and it's within the um, area of molecular pathology of acquired disease, which fits nicely with histology and what we yeah, do here. of course.
0: Here. Brilliant, that leads us nicely into Congress because you are presenting at Congress uh, in the year just gone, tell, tell us about how that happened.
1: Well, uh, my my uh, my boss here, um, Andy Usher, um, is uh, involved with the IBMS and with the planning, the education committee and planning, and he put me forward. Essentially, yeah. <laughs> um, I I was already um, on the CSOYS fellowship, so I was already um, was doing that, and I suppose seeking opportunities to. Um, showcase the work that we were doing here and push my own boundaries and that was something yeah that I've obviously not done before and certainly was pushing the boundaries
0: uh you sound like someone who likes a challenge did you enjoy getting up on the stage and speaking to a lot of people was it nerve-wracking or
1: it was very nerve-wracking um although I seem to I've kind of I've done a lot of it recently again and I've, I've always had to do it with my clinical scientist training it was very much you must present at the end of it I had to present at a, um, a big conference it was part of the training so um, I've kind of been used to it in the past it doesn't phase me too much as long as I'm well prepared I feel less nervous um, and I try I think some of the techniques say try and, um, try and harness that um, nervousness and make it into excitement. I'm not sure that I've actually managed that, but yeah. mm-hmm. I, I try and tell my kids to do that. I think,
0: um, to- I think it was Tony Blair he used to make sure he didn't go to the toilet before he went on stage and did a main speech, so he delivered it with urgency, <laughs> apparently, okay. so you could try you that see, next yeah. time.
1: <laughs> I'll, I'll consider that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> but um, t- tell us a bit about the work that you presented, because um, I'm holding the latest copy of the Biomedical Scientist, which you wrote the cover feature for, uh, on molecular pathology and delivering real-time PCR in a routine histopathology service. Tell us about this work and um, why it came about. Because normally there's a problem and then a process and then a solution. I assume. What was what was the problem here in your lab? Uh,
1: so um, I guess um, the the testing that that this does is historically it's it's never been done within a histology lab. It's done in these specialised centres where they have the expertise, the specific equipment, the skills to be able to undertake this highly skilled work. Um, And so I'd never really considered that in a histology environment we would be able to do that kind of testing. Uh, And it was um, one of our pathologists, Dr. Modada, came to me one day and said, He'd just come back from a conference and he was like, he also has an interest in genetics and genomics. He said, Have you seen this fab piece of equipment? And it um you just pop your wax curl into the machine and it gives you a result within an hour or so. And I was like, No, I've not heard of this, and I I was um a bit cross with myself really for not having heard of it before. Um, and then at the same time, it was a bit fortuitous. Um some of the oncologists had been approached by one of the drug companies who supply one of the drugs for colorectal cancer. And they were wanting to work in partnership with um, a company to deliver rapid testing for some of these targets in cancer. Um, and I have an interest in that kind of thing anyway. Um, so I, w- between the sort of joining the dots, we managed to get in touch with the company um, that make the platform. And um, the company that make the platform and the company that, um, that uh, manufacture the drug yeah. basically um, gave us a, a platform and a year's worth of um, reagents to be able to run the test and showcase what we could do with it here in our lab. So that's essentially yeah. how we got it. Um,
0: um, was it tough equipment to get your head around? Did everyone need a lot of training or is it pretty intuitive?
1: It is... Um, it's a very easy to use. It's a small piece of equipment. So um, that's great for our lab. We don't have a lot of space. We don't have yeah. a lot of clean space. Histology is, is quite a dirty discipline. Mm. It's not very clean. There's lots of you know, reagents and wax and wax, uh, like uh, it, yeah. Yeah, formalin and special stains, xylene. Uh, um, so um, yeah, finding a small space would have been a challenge and also a clean area to prepare the samples um so from that sense getting it in was very easy because um the approach to preparing the samples needs to be slightly slightly different to the way that we do everything else i suppose that's been a steep learning curve from a histology perspective because yeah. it's having an awareness of the types of things we should be doing with these samples to make sure we get the right results so that has probably been the most challenging and making sure we get the right result for the right patient because yeah. that's you know, the most important thing we can do
0: and this has had quite a positive impact hasn't it? Is it this sped up the kind of turnaround time and you can get results back to patients quicker
1: it has yes um uh, so we use the um in melanoma it's been really good the clinicians are very happy with our rapid turnaround times whereas before we had to outsource that testing and whilst um, we, we have to package the samples up, fill in request forms, send them away, and that relies on you know obviously the time to get the samples from each uh, centre, but then also the time for them to test it. So we've been able to bring our turnaround times down, which has been brilliant for the patients. And we have had some feedback of, um, some really positive feedback actually, that we don't generally get in the lab of um, patients who were really quite poorly, who we've been able to, Get them on treatment quicker, which has a positive outcome for them. Yeah, brilliant. Um, yeah, it's been good, and we're just trying to look at the impact of our colorectal cancer testing and try and prove that, or prove or disprove that patients um, have access to treatment quicker because we've got that result quicker.
0: And do, do you think it's a trend that's going to happen with other tests, more kind of bringing, stopping outsourcing stuff and bringing it more into the lab, or?
1: So prior to um the uh genomics England restructuring proposals mm. I would have said yes <laughs> now uh, not so sure obviously uh we are now undergoing a big genomics restructure of service and certainly in terms of genomic testing the drive will move to centralization mm. of services and um and away from smaller centres being able to provide that so
2: um,
1: the the balance for them is they will be able to give a lot more information for the patients the tests they will be doing will be looking at much many more genes than we can look at in one single go Um, but of course the turnaround times for those uh, may go down again or increase so um yeah, we don't have a lot of choice
0: in that. No, of course. (laughs) And do you think genomics is going to have a big impact across the board? I remember when, a a few years back, there seemed to be lots of newspaper articles saying about the incredible impact it was going to have. Do do you think it will have an incredible impact? Or do you think there's a lot of potential there and it's going to take a long time for any kind of big fundamental changes? And it's okay if you don't have (laughs) a either way. I ask because (laughs) I have no idea.
1: (laughs) Um, Well... I, th- I think at the moment we don't, there is so much information that we can gather from these patients by testing. We don't necessarily know what to do with that yet, but as we build up more and more information, it will help patients down the line. Um, so I, th- I have no doubt it will have an impact, but there are lots of questions around yeah. consenting and the data that's generated. So,
0: so uh, you're a CSO, are you still a CSO wise fellow? Um, or do you go through a year of doing it? You, or you for... go
1: through a year of doing it, um, yeah. and yeah, and then the next, the next cohort.
0: So why, why did you become a CSO Wise Fellow? <laughs> I
1: think I saw, I saw the advert actually um, one day. There was a write up. I think it was on the IBM's website, and um, they were, uh, I think um, Joe Horn had written something about the benefits that she'd found from it. And uh, I seen it, and I thought that sounds really great—a leadership program—and that's something we, I've always felt we get uh, loads of education around the science of stuff, but the leadership and management stuff. When you're day to day in the lab, we kind of that element is missing, mm. um, and I kind of rely on my husband <laughs> to give me that coaching, which is not always a good thing. So um, I saw that program, and I thought, brilliant. I could actually. Um, you know, get some outside help on that. So um, that was essentially why I applied. I actually didn't think I had a hope in getting it. Um, and I did consider at one point. I, I went to my boss and uh, a colleague who I um, who, who's very good at encouraging um, all of us actually. And um, he said, "Of course, you've got to try it. You have to try if you don't know. You, you won't know uh, if you don't try it. You won't know." So. um that was that was it i just thought i'll give it a go and see how i how i fare yeah it was a it was a very rewarding process even just the application for it made me really see everything that i'd done in my career and actually i probably hadn't done that enough and Mm. um, even just the application process made me realize i have actually achieved a lot (laughs) and um yeah, I was probably giving myself a hard time. Yeah,
0: I mean, it sounds like you've done an incredible amount in your career.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but I guess, I guess sometimes you need to see it written down on paper and have to argue why to see what you've done yourself.
1: That's it, and that was probably what I hadn't done, and I hadn't, I hadn't really tied the behaviours that I was using to leadership. Mm. So I hadn't really recognised I was leading, even though I was. Yeah. Um, and it took go through that process to realise, actually, I do lead. <laughs> um, I just, you know, we maybe don't use the right terminology or the same terminology.
0: Um, and what's it involved since you, when you were a fellow? What, what did you actually have to do?
1: Um, so the programme involved, um, so there were four of us um, that were, were successful on the programme. Um, we were uh, given training uh, in... Uh, That's
0: right. We can just. uh...
1: (laughs) Uh, We were given training in, uh, I suppose, leadership skills, um, uh, from uh, a company, Skills for UK, and they, uh, the lady that that runs those programs, is a very inspirational speaker, Um, and so we had four days of training on um, communication skills, on how. Men and fe- male and females differ. It was specifically tailored for women. Mm, and, yes. Um, uh, so the differences in our communications uh, and then how to how to promote yourself, I guess, um, which I've always found quite a challenge. It's not something I tend to do, but actually it's quite important. Yeah. The importance of networking and getting outside of your silo. And I'd always thought, well, you know, I didn't need to network in a minute in a hospital environment Um, but actually it's so important those cross uh, disciplinary communication is is really important Um, so we had um the four days leadership program and then there was also uh, meetings for this um lots of work going on around the nhs long-term plan so lots of nhs england meetings around that which i was really fortunate to attend at the CSO Wise, um, at the CSO conference, um, and also the Wise conference later on in the year. So, um, and then speaking opportunities, speaking at the Leadership Day for the next CSO Wise applicants. So,
0: um, and having become involved in leadership more yourself, is there anything that you see in people who have been? kind of leaders or mentors to you where you're like aha that's why they're a good leader what, what what do you value most in leadership do you think is it motivating people or open communication or knowledge or networking
1: i think it's probably a bit of all of it um i think the communication is really important um because when you're trying to lead and trying to to make changes um, for the for the good um, you need to really communicate that um, in an, in this environment we need to communicate to our clinicians when things are going well or not so well to manage their expectations so I think communication is a really good thing. Um, in leadership as well compassion and empathy with people is is quite important.
0: So you've got a you've got a very busy family life, Siobhan. What, what, you know, how, how do you manage to juggle having two young kids, a busy job, all the extra curricular stuff you're doing, or the you know, all the extra work? How do you manage to squeeze it all in? And what advice would you give to other people who are maybe in a similar position who who want to extend themselves professionally but think, oh, I can't, I've got two young kids, you know, I've got to finish my job, clock out on time, get home, get them to bed. How have you dealt with that and how should other people deal with it?
1: Um, so generally I tend to, I work in the evenings when the children have gone to sleep, um, so I, I try not to uh, allow it to eat into that family time and I try to be really protective of that. I've had periods where I suddenly realise that it's crept and that maybe I haven't done a very good job of separating those things. So, um, I think the most important thing is recognising opportunities and taking opportunities but learning to take the opportunities that are important to you and that you're going to get benefit from and that's something I'm still learning today Uh, um I think I want to do lots to help people and so I say yes to everything and then I end up in a situation where I can't juggle everything that I've taken on so um it's yeah, focus on work out what your priorities are. Um, obviously, not in a selfish way of this is my priority, this is what I'm going to do, but what you enjoy and what your priorities are, and and try and make it work around that. And I, I guess um, I can't remember what I was going to say. That's
0: <laughs> uh, right. Well, I suppose what advice would you give to anyone who is. Because the CSO Wise Fellowship is specifically for kind of mid-career women working in science, is that right? Yeah. If people are thinking of going on it or yes. they, they want to get some of those attributes, what, what would you recommend that they do? Is it a case of looking at themselves and the work they've done? Should they be putting themselves forward for more things? What, what yeah, practical advice try, would you give?
1: Try and find opportunities outside of your silo your area and there is a whole wide world of nhs out there um not just nhs but healthcare scientists so i think probably the the best thing i ever did within my trust was get in touch with my lead healthcare scientist Um, not all trusts have them but our trust does and he's been brilliant he's spotted opportunities within the trust where um i could perhaps feed back on something we've done and that's been able to showcase some of the stuff we've done within our own trust which I, I wouldn't have had that opportunity otherwise so um seeking out him and and I guess making the time um whereas before I always wanted to do all these things and I thought I just haven't got time yeah um and not not, not too much time but just a bit of time um and it is it does have to be done outside of work it's not stuff that yeah. can do in work but so it's important to find that balance, that work-life balance. But as I say, I'm still learning.
0: And what's next? You you sound like someone who's never going to be kind of, right, professional ambition's fulfilled, personal ambition's fulfilled, now I can sit back, have a cup of tea and relax. What, what's what's the next thing you're looking at? Is there anything else on the horizon?
1: Well, I I think um, the the biggest, I suppose, things on my horizon at the moment are the HSST. So as part of the HSST, there's... Um, there's four different elements. So there's a a postgraduate diploma in healthcare science leadership and management. So um, that's with the University of Manchester. So I'm doing that over the course of the five years. There's an online portfolio that I have to do, which is tailored towards um, certain competencies to gain leadership and management skills and prove that I'm gaining them as I go along. Um, There is exams for the Fellowship of the Royal College of Pathologists. So over the course of the five years, slotting them in yeah, yeah. and a research project, <laughs>
0: so busy. I may
1: have a busy five years. Ahead. <laughs>
0: How far in it have you started it now? I only
1: the... started in September, oh. so um, five it's... more years of deadlines
0: <laughs> and heavy workloads. <laughs> yes. then.
1: Yeah. So yeah, not stopping, no. keep going, and and of course with the genomic restructuring, I think there there are lots of there's lots of work gonna be involved in. Shifting over to that and making sure.
0: Yeah, of course. We do that right. Well, I shall now pass you over to James for the quick fire round, one of our regular rounds.
2: Okay, Siobhan, are you ready?
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: Okay, Siobhan Taylor's quick fire round. What's your favourite pathogen? So, you, you could
0: have a favourite chromosome if you want to get away yeah. from pathogens.
1: Yeah. Oh, I quite like chromosome seventeen because it's got a little bone. <laughs> no, he's got, um, he's got, uh, yeah, he's got like a, I don't even know why I've referred to him as a he, but um, he's a cute little crimson, Give gave 17, her two's on chromosome as well.
2: Uh, what's your favourite piece of lab equipment? Oh,
1: the microscope, <laughs> the microscope, um, you can do so much and, uh, yeah, you can look at lots of different things, um, lots of different tests, but you still, you need a microscope, and Yeah, very important piece of equipment.
2: Describe your job in three words, if possible.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, Varied, uh, worthwhile and rewarding.
2: What's the best piece of advice you've ever been given?
1: Um, I think, for me, it was believe in yourself, because if you don't believe in yourself, how can you expect anyone else to believe in you and and respect you and follow you as a leader? So.
2: And lastly, who's your science hero?
1: I don't really have one. <laughs> it's really bad. Um, I don't really have a science hero. Watson and Cripp. They discovered DNA. There you go. <laughs> okay, That's a good hero. A go. couple of heroes, yes, yeah.
2: indeed. Uh, so back to Rob. Lastly, for the overrated, <gasps> underrated, and correctly rated round.
0: Okay, Sean. Sure Team building exercises: overrated, underrated, or correctly rated?
1: Um. Um,
0: have you ever been on a team building exercise? No, no, right. <laughs>
1: not not anything that was specifically labelled as no. a team building exercise. So I'm not sure that I can actually give a mm. fair... Um,
0: Never been made to go to the woods and swing through, no, catch other people?
1: I'm, I feel like I'm missing out. <laughs> yeah. Or
0: maybe not. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. No, it's finding the time, isn't it, in, yeah. a, in busy diagnostic laboratories to take everyone out to have that is... Um, yeah,
0: yeah. Scant opportunity. But I,
1: I actually think they would be a, a very good thing, but I, having never been on one, I can't really give an accurate.
0: <laughs> well, let's move on to something you <laughs> will have experienced, a lab coat. Underrated, overrated, or correctly rated?
1: Underrated.
0: Underrated. They're very
1: important. So, um, yeah, I don't think we appreciate really why we use them. We, we wear them because we're told we have to wear them. Um, But they don't just protect us, they protect the samples as well, so I think, um, yeah, underrated.
0: Underrated. Socialising with colleagues. We always tell people to answer this one very carefully in case their colleagues are listening. (laughs)
1: Um, Well, my colleagues will tell you, these days with two young children and everything else I do, I'm probably not as sociable as I probably could be. I think it's great to get outside of work with your colleagues and go and have food or have a drink and get out of that working environment. Um, it's great to get to know people and actually, um, you probably get on better in work, doing so. Yeah. Um, I just don't get much chance to do no.
0: it. No, <laughs> no, I imagine not.
1: Um, no, so I think it's it's a good thing.
0: Yeah. Uh, messages in birthday cards and leaving cards. You know, you have to write people a little note
1: yeah underrated
0: overrated or correctly rated
1: from a perspective of writing it i would say overrated because i go oh, what am i gonna write it's the same thing as everyone else from a perspective of receiving one and being a bit of a sentimentalist and keeping things <laughs> yeah. and looking back in years to come it's really nice to read those and i've i've kept my leaving cards from I'm a bit. I'm not a hoarder, but I'm a bit (laughs) sentimental. So, um, so from that perspective, it's really nice to to remember people and um, and look back. So, um, maybe correctly rated. Correctly rated.
0: (laughs) Do do you have a go-to message? Mine is always good luck or all the best. I alternate between (laughs) the two.
1: Best wishes. Good luck and (laughs) best wishes. Yeah. No, and really rubbish. It covers covers
0: lots of. Eventuality is best, you know. I always have this lucky. grand
1: plan of I'm going to write something that's tailored to the specific person, yeah. and and I have lovely notes from people where they've you know written ditties and things, and I'm just my brain can never come up with something, so it just ends up yeah. being something <laughs> very much the
0: same. Um, I think you'll you'll know something about this using social media, um, uh, probably specifically to promote the workplace and the work mm. that you're doing.
1: Yeah underrated yeah um that was one of the, the great pieces of advice actually when i was um speaking to joe horn about the CSO Wise fellowship and she said you need to get on twitter and um um i i'd never i I'd been on twitter my husband uses it for the football and the news and socially yeah. personally and um I'd never ventured into the realms of Twitter. So I was quite nervous about it to start with. Um, But now it's brilliant. Professionally, I I only use Twitter professionally, mainly because I don't know what really to do with it personally. Um, But it's brilliant. Yeah, so it's definitely underrated for connections and networks and getting information out there. You're ahead of everyone else by Mm. knowing what's going on in the world. So it's very good and underrated.
0: Brilliant. And the final one, night shifts.
1: Well, I'm fortunate as a lab scientist in histology that we don't have to do night shifts. Mm. So, um, And also in genetics, never had to do night shifts. Um, I had to do night shifts when I was a student. Um, I worked as a telephonist on a hospital switchboard for a while and I had to do some night shifts there and they were very hard. So Mm. I appreciate how hard it is to stay awake, no sort of three, four, five o'clock hours, getting to maybe one o'clock is all right. It's just like a late night, but that after that, Mm -hmm. how hard it is. Um, So, and I appreciate that like working in these diagnostic labs, we need to keep them going. So they're definitely very important, but luckily I've never had to experience it. So definitely underrated.
0: Underrated. And w- when you were doing them, water on the face, chocolate, coffee? What was your, it's one o'clock, I'm having a bit of a slump, <laughs> I need to stay awake, what was your tactic?
1: Splash the face with water. And <laughs> um, and it was, it was the kind of environment that they were was making phone calls at that time of day anyway. So mm. watching TV, trying to keep awake and yeah, splashing some water. And, and I try not to drink too much caffeine, but tea. I should, has more caffeine than anything but I'm yeah. <laughs> drinking lots of tea to keep me awake
0: good tactic mm. <laughs> brilliant Siobhan thank you so much for your time thank you thanks for listening we hope you enjoyed the episode and don't forget this can be used for your CPD
1: see you next month for another biopod this is Becca
2: and Rob signing, signing off. off bye, bye.